How do you mine for the gold in your compliance program to demonstrate ROI to increase your compliance budget? In this special five-part podcast series with Nick and Gio Gallo from Compliance Line, I explore this topic. We take a look at what is ROI, how to calculate it, and more importantly, how to present that information to CFOs and senior management to increase your compliance budgeting. Now, a quick word from Nick Gallo about Compliance Line. For over 25 years, Compliance Line has provided a suite of corporate integrity products that help you manage risk and reinforce your healthy culture. From case management and COI software that really saves time, issue intake and e-learning focused on the human element, and sanction monitoring that actually works, we are committed to making the world a better workplace for everyone. We're currently offering a limited number of free ROI sessions that'll help you make the business case for more budget so your program can be more effective. These custom sessions will give you the right talk tracks and confidence to get the money you need to elevate. Reach out to us at complianceline.com today to schedule your free custom ROI session. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Nick and Gio Gallo for our five-part exploration today. We're going to take a look at finance and investing models as related to risk analysis. So, gentlemen, first of all, welcome back. Glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for having us. If there's one topic that every compliance professional understands, it's risk analysis. But this is not the same type of risk analysis that a financial professional would take a look at. Yeah. So. I wanted to see if maybe in this episode we could go into the weeds a little bit and have you guys explain really how a finance professional would think through a risk analysis as related to perhaps investment or other opportunities and how those same strategies, tactics, and even tools could be used by the compliance professional to also help in risk analysis. So I'm not quite sure which one of you guys wants to open, but please do. Yeah, sure. I'll start. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting, Tom, because like as someone trained in finance, Nick and I, a risk lens is like almost what you start with, right? Like what is the risk to the investment? You know, what is the risk in your model and your assumptions? And there's so much overlap with the finance mind and the ENC mind on risk, but somehow we still need a translator to kind of get into the room. I hope that some of these things we talk about might allow people to understand, hey, you know what? They get this concept that I live with. They're not just kind of restricting budget until I make a better case, they understand this thing, we need to maybe just communicate it better. So one I wanted to start with is this concept of a black swan. And you may not know the term, but you probably think about it very frequently within your own job. This is something that was kind of popularized in kind of 2008 to 2010 around the global financial crisis about this idea that you have a distribution of different outcomes, right? You have the median outcome of, hey, on average, we probably won't get sued for $10 million next month because in any one month, we probably don't do it. But there is probably somewhere, there's probably something within the potential outcomes that you have for things that might happen to your business, your division or whatever, where it's very rare, but it's so small in likelihood that it almost doesn't show up on your radar. But if you land on that number, right? If the roulette wheel spins around and lands on that number, it could be a total disaster. And it kind of gets this idea of a black swan when you're just looking at kind of expected value, right? There's an 80% chance everything will be fine. And there's a 90% chance we'll be 10% bigger next year. And there's a 70% chance that we'll be 20% smaller or more difficult next year or whatever. Well, there might be a 0.0003% chance that this bad thing happens. But the outcome is just so catastrophic that it's kind of like the once in a hundred year flood that you almost, and I say almost, can't plan for it. 
And this is something that I think is a natural part of the thinking in someone who's doing financial planning or kind of future casting for the organization, especially if they've been around for the past 10 years. Maybe we're going to 15 to get back to 08. But this idea of a black swan is that like, hey, we're not just solving for the average, right? And I think that ENC leaders are kind of ringing this bell all the time of like, yeah, we probably won't get fined next month. Yeah, it's very likely that we don't get this financial enforcement next year. But also let's keep in mind that even if it's a half percent chance, if we do this, it's going to be massively, massively disruptive to the organization. And I think that understanding that people in finance have that same concept of, very small chance of it happening, but very big, bad outcome if it does happen. They have that in their mind and they think of risk in that way as well. It just maybe doesn't come up in normal conversation because we're usually talking about the things that are likely to happen. They're in the middle of that bell curve of, you know, we're probably going to see something like this in the next year or two. Jill, let me pick up on one point because I want to take a little bit deeper dive into the Black Swan event. Sure. So, as you know, I live in Texas, around the Gulf Coast, well-known, potential risks of flooding, hurricane, storms, et cetera. Typically, you don't plan for the 1,000-year flood, Mm -hmm. but it's known as a possibility, and I've lived through at least one in the past few years and several 500-year floods. Mm -hmm. How can you take the black swan concept and evaluate it or continuously reevaluate it to move from something that well, it could happen in a thousand years, but no, no, no. If it does happen, it's going to be very bad. Yeah. And the circumstances have changed. So you need to change your basic risk assumptions and calling it a black swan event. Right. I'm glad you bring it up because, you know, we've all seen this type of stuff of like, it's almost like people think of if it's a one in a thousand year flood, it's not going to happen for a thousand years. So you have to wait for it. I mean, there's something in our mind that is like, okay, well, my number is not probably not going to come up for that. So I think you can do a few things. One, you can tell these stories, right? You just told a story. You've lived through this. You were caught off guard by it. We can talk about the levees breaking in New Orleans. We can talk about the Fukushima reactor and stuff like that. These are things that they weren't in your top 10 likely outcomes, but it happened and it was crazy. So you can bring that up. And I think you quickly illustrate that. And then you have to quickly kind of go to, and here's what we should do about it, right? Because if you stop there and you just say, Maybe because you don't have the whole script and talk track put together and you just say, well, just know that something terrible might happen. That's something that creates, I think, a damaging dynamic between you and someone, you know, in finance or at the executive level. And they're like, well, what do you want me to do about that? What are we going to do this month, this budget for it? So if you can bridge that to, hey, we all know that this terrible stuff might happen and it's not going to take a thousand years for a thousand year flood to happen, like in probability, they could happen two years in a row. Bring it to a solution and say, okay, because of that, I suggest that we take a little bit different tack than we would if we just ignored this. And let's start using the power of compounding interest to go to a concept we brought up before and say, hey, we don't need to completely defend against this in the next two months, but we should wait a little bit of our investment, a little bit of our intention to kind of build the levees a few feet higher so that the next biggest flood we defend against and talk about that in the realm of this is going to take another 2% of the company's budget, 2% of the compliance team's budget to get a little bit better on this. But if we get 2%, we invest this 2% each year over the next five years, we're going to be five times better at defending against this 500 or thousand year flood. I think you illustrate it. You get a little bit of the cortisol, the, oh my goodness, have we forgotten about, were we not prepared for this? Get the eyebrows going up of like, okay, where are we going with this? 
and then tell them that you have a solution for it. And it doesn't have to be a crazy thing. It doesn't have to be. And that's why we need to spend $18 million wrapping the whole building in bubble wrap next year. It can be, hey, let's take a little step toward this. So a few years from now, we keep getting a little bit better at it. That's what I'd suggest. Gentlemen, this has been a fascinating episode and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Until next time. It's been great joining you. This is Tom Fox again. We've linked to Compliance Line in the show notes, and I hope you'll check them out. And I hope you will check out their free offer for mining your compliance goal for ROI. I hope you will join us tomorrow for our fifth and concluding episode where we take up investment strategies with a compliance professional. This special five-part podcast series on gold in the compliance hills has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.